Welcome to Subway Sports Talk. Dan, 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 clear of the closing doors, please. Here we go, Subway Sports Talk. My name is Peter Kennedy, and I am your host. Joining me today, a very special guest, a guy who brings me back to my past because I remember watching this dude play ball when I was in, like, third grade or something like that, and he was the eighth grader that I was striving to be like one day, playing hoops like that, and now he's made great strides in his career, not only playing but coaching. I'll bring him right in. We'll talk more. TJ Tibbs, the head coach of the College of Staten Island basketball team. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on, man. Thoroughly appreciate you having me and making me sound like I was a much better grammar school player than I was, so I appreciate that. I just know when I was in third grade, all the eighth graders looked sick. <laughs> <laughs> I believe it. When I was in eighth grade, man, all the twelfth graders looked amazing. It's just the way of life, and it's it's a great part of growing up. Absolutely, and uh, don't sell yourself short. Obviously, we're going to get into some of the stuff you you have accomplished in your career now as a coach, um, but but you had some moments as a player, so don't sell yourself short over there, right? Great teammates. <laughs> that's, that's some good coach speak. I can I can hear it already. But uh, TJ Tibbs, like I mentioned, head coach of CSI basketball. You have uh, had some other experience that we'll get into. But basically, I want to start from a very simple place. So you played uh, at CSI as well after a, a stint at Monmouth. Like, so obviously you love the sport. You've, play, you've been playing the game for a long time. Is coaching something that you've always wanted to get into? Or is it something that kind of just happened? Yeah, that's a great question. Coaching is something I definitely always had an eye out for. And, you know, my dad being a youth coach and coaching my entire life, even to this day, and not not stopping or slowing down anytime soon, it was easy to see the impact that he had on kids, whether it be basketball or, or baseball or, or anything that he was coaching. And, you know, growing up and being, you know, Thomas to junior, you can't go anywhere on Staten Island without – running into somebody who has a story about your father and and how he helped them when he was a kid and they were kids. And so you, you kind of are ingrained in that just growing up directly and indirectly. But as I started to get older, I think through high school at St. Peter's, I started to really have a deeper appreciation for all the intricacies of the game. And, you know, I basically chose my college based on the fact that I knew that I wanted to at least try to coach college basketball when my career was done. Um, and that's how I ended up choosing, you know, to go to Monmouth because I felt like you had to be a division one player to end up being a coach. So, um, you know, growing up and, and just being around my dad and being around having great coaches in all the sports that I played, it, it just put the bug in my ear to be able to do it. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky that, I got a bunch of chances to do what I love to do. Absolutely. And I guess I, I probably should have prefaced that as well, that that same exact example you made right there where so many people on Staten Island, you know, coached with your dad. I mean, played for your dad or played against your dad, and you couldn't run into anybody who didn't know him. I played for your dad, which was awesome. And and, and for me growing up through, uh, through grammar school, your dad being the eighth grade coach of the top tier team in the school, it was like the pinnacle. It was the place where you like kind of – you worked and tried to get better. So when you got to that spotlight, you were ready to play at, at a high level because he expected it and he pushed you in that way. And uh, we'll obviously talk more 
about it, but I got I probably should have prefaced that one, right? That I played for your dad too. <laughs> I mean, it it depends. I mean, that's definitely a great connection. I mean, and that's our connection, of course. You know, St. Adalvis is a great time and a, and a great place for the both of us, as, as you know, we spoke about. And and a lot of that is sports and basketball and spending all day in the gym. You know, when you're in sixth grade or seventh grade, you're sitting around, you watch some of the earlier games, and then you play. If you're in seventh grade, you stay around for the eighth grade game or you watch the girls who are in your age and you kind of just hang around the gym and and even if you don't know the younger kids, uh, you know, you may be in eighth grade there in third grade, you, you know, the faces and, you know, the families and, and, you know, that's what Santa Davis was about. And, you know, my dad coached the eighth grade program for a long time. It's just, you know, you aspire to be there. You're always looking up to whoever the eighth graders are. Everybody knows who the eighth graders are. And, you know, my dad took a lot of pride in having those teams. And I mean, you know, selfishly, he's coached a lot of really great players on Staten Island that came from For that real? program and ended up having great careers. So, you know, I would I would say that he did a great job and, you know, he's still doing a great job coaching. A story that, like, sticks in my brain forever with your dad. So, obviously, like I just mentioned, he was my coach eighth grade, and he was always pushing me to do, like, these little things that he knew I could do, but you know, eighth grader kids don't think about, you know, using your left hand for layup, like taking that angle shot, you know, wing extended and using the glass instead of trying to swish everything. Like little things like that he was pushing because like he knew that that was an advantage that people in seventh, eighth grade just could take advantage of. And uh, now as like a 25-year-old playing at the park all washed up, like I do all those things way more than I did when I was in eighth grade. But I remember specifically in the Jakes, uh, my eighth grade year, I, I like hit a, a pump fake and like hit a three and I was mad proud and he was there and I, I see him at like halftime or something. I'm expecting him to be like, yo, that was a nice shot. He was like, yo, I like that you went up with your left on that layup. And I was like, what about the <laughs> shot? And, but now like looking back on it, it's those little things that a coach like ingrains in you that help you get to that different level and understand the game at a different point that me at age like 14 or whatever you are uh, at eighth grade, you know, maybe I didn't think about it, about it like that, but now looking back, it's real interesting. Yeah, imagine trying to understand that at like seven years old playing a basketball <laughs> game. Like, yeah, like and, and, and that's the you're on the tykes hoop, the little tykes hoop, and he's like left hand. And, <laughs> yeah, and that's you know, and that's the you know, that's the great thing about him. Like you alluded to, never satisfied and and always thinking about the future. And um, you know, he's he's sat down. I've been a victim of it as eighth grader. He sits down as players if they're not doing well in school or not listening. It doesn't care how good you are. I've definitely been a victim of it. I've definitely heard those stories with family gatherings over and over again. So, um, you know, a lot of the things that I do now are, you know, we coach different levels, but our philosophy as far as people and, 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 and raising young men and are, are the same. So it's just awesome to have that example every single day. Yeah, that that is awesome. And what you just alluded to made me think of something that I read about about you when you took over the job at CSI, which was what, three years ago now. And unfortunately, the season obviously got cut short for, for COVID's sake. But uh, three years now, so three years ago, you had a quote in SI Live that said, you know, I'm not about just – this is not direct quote. This is almost verbatim probably. Uh, I'm not about the next four years for my players. I'm about the next 40, 50 years for my players. You know, I'm, I'm not just trying – basically you're trying to say, I'm not just trying to get them through college. Like I'm trying to help prepare these people – uh, for a full life. And, and like, that was super powerful to me. And as an athlete, I want my coach to care about, you know, what I'm going for in my career or, you know, truly care if my family's doing good and stuff like that. So when I read that quote um, from you, I was like, damn, that that's kind of what it's all about. So can you just speak about the relationships with your players that is so important to you 
and, and why that is like the number one priority, according you know to you to you in this article, it was such a big reason for you to get into coaching. Yeah, I think going backwards a little bit, why it's such a priority is because I've had such great coaches in my life. You know, my dad has coached me, and obviously he's my dad, so he's not coaching me, he's dad. But playing football, playing baseball, playing basketball, and playing soccer, I've had so many great coaches, so many great people who have taught me lessons. And I've been blessed to have great parents and great family, and my parents have done an amazing job with me as far as giving me all the opportunities that I could possibly have. But also, it, I know that it takes a village. And a lot of my village are the coaches that I've had. So I know, for instance, my fifth and sixth grade football coach, Coach James Mahaney, um, who's FDNY, and he coached me for two years. He's somebody that I still talk to today. Um, and he's one of my biggest fans and has always put all this confidence in me and has always been somebody who's been on my side. And now as a grown man, we're still people that can email each other and communicate. So those are the type of relationships I strive to have with my players when they're long and gone, because you need that. And the best things I look back at my coaches and playing have nothing to do with moments, games, scoring points, scoring touchdowns, big hits. It's always something that somebody said or, how somebody made me feel, how they pushed me to get over something. If, you know, I had something else going on in my life. Sports should be the most, we practice two hours, whatever, two and a half hours a day. It should be the most fun two and two and a half hours every single day. And that's coaches included. So if I'm not preparing them for life and they're just coming and scoring points and winning games, everybody's going to tell me how great I am. And that's not why I'm coaching. So um, Coach Patoza at CSI had a tremendous impact on me. And I want to have, uh, I strive to have at least the same impact that he had on me on everybody else. So I can forever be a resource for these guys as they navigate life and go through different stages of life. Absolutely. And I, I think it's a little bit harder now. And we talked about it a little bit before we started recording uh, to build these relationships and maintain these relationships, obviously with quarantine, unfortunately, everyone's season you know, from high school up to the highest D1 to obviously the NBA, which resumed, but all these seasons got put on pause, got shut short, everything that you guys were working towards. Uh, not that it gets ripped away, but in, in some ways it probably felt like it did, right? And now even going into where you'd be preparing for your next season, we're still in this place of limbo where we don't know what seasons are happening. We're pretty confident that football at the collegiate level is not going to happen in the fall, but the spring – how like how have you navigated keeping in touch with your guys, making sure that they're still staying in shape uh, and, and being on top of their life and, and their schoolwork? Because now this virtual schoolwork stuff becomes interesting as well. Like, is it easier to get good grades? Is it harder because you can slack off? It's probably a mixture of both. So, so how have you navigated this crazy time where everybody's home and you can't even interact with your players like you probably love to? Yeah, well, we've just been prepared to adjust, and that doesn't make sense. But what we're trying to do is that we understand that every day there's going to be some sort of challenge that we haven't gone through. But also in the same time, this is we're blessed to be able to go through something like this in a controlled environment because that's kind of what life is. Um, life is just going to throw you something that you didn't prepare for and you just got to get it done and figure it out. So we've taken this as a positive. Um, right now it's September, but I haven't even spoken about basketball. Uh, our season is postponed to January 1st. Right now we would be 
Um, we wouldn't even be practicing right now. We would be waiting until next week to start doing some individual workouts, but we would be preparing for October 15th, which would be the start of practice days. We're not going to have an October 15th this year. Uh, we don't know when our October 15th is going to be. So for me, it just kind of doesn't feel right to do everything as usual. The number one thing for me has been to be available for our assistant coaches to be available for the players and to be there to support them for anything that they need. School, it's a mixture. Some kids or most kids, I should say, they not that they enjoy virtual learning, but they're at home. They don't have to sleep in, in class. <laughs> yeah, they can they can do all those things. And and I'd be kidding if I didn't say that the grades didn't reflect that it's a little bit easier for them or well, at that least was the easier to focus. That's the first semester, though. We don't know if they're going to ratchet up the difficulty. We don't know. I hope so. I hope I hope my kids still figure a way to get it done. <laughs> they really crushed the spring. Um, but, you know, everybody has their different struggles. Everybody learns differently. So, But we can't use that as an excuse. Um, it's still school. We're still trying to get our degree. And outside of our degree, we're still trying to get educated on other things. So we do mm-hmm. a lot of things off the court. Uh, we meet on Zoom once a week. I tell the guys, listen, we can talk as much as you want to talk, but I'm available. If you need me individually, they know they can call me. They can they can text me. Uh, I'll check up on guys every now and again. Um, I want to give them their space, but I also want to make sure they continually know that I'm available. And I'm lucky because this year I have a real, I have a veteran team. I have five seniors, uh, four of them are fifth-year seniors. Um, a lot of my team has been with me for a, a bit, so they understand how I am. They understand what I demand and what I need. And right now I'm just here for them. And basketball is kind of taking a backseat. Uh, it's very important to all of us, but right now life and mental and health are just way more important. And when basketball season comes, we, we won't forget how to coach and play basketball. We, we will figure that out. But right now I'm just here to make sure that they are set up for the most success that they can possibly have without making any excuses. Absolutely. And I don't know if you've been able to catch hard knocks uh, this season with the obviously the strange circumstances the Chargers and Rams are going through. But uh, what I thought was really cool, the Chargers were doing, it sounds like you're doing a very similar thing where they're having these Zoom calls where football is the last thing they're going to talk about. They're letting their players, you know, tell stories about their upbringing, their background and experience about social issues, about all this stuff. And uh, I know just because I follow you on social media, I know you're active and I know that um, you're trying to make a positive impact, not only on your players, but any person that you would uh, interact with in your life. So has this been something, I know it's important to you, but has this been something that also has uh, become a part of, of your team situation as well? It's, I would say yes, but I don't want to speak for everybody. Um, everybody has a different level of, you know, what's important to them and that's fair. Um, but what I try to bring as a leader of the program is, to try to get them to think. And also it's easy to be a keyboard warrior and to, you know, talk about it. Um, If you're upset about something and you want something to change, uh, tell me about your thoughts. But right after you tell me about your thoughts, you better tell me about your plans for your actions. Mm. Um, Otherwise you're a fraud. And a lot of, I follow all my kids on social media. We have some social media rules to kind of protect themselves um, from themselves because social media is so important, especially when you're going to get jobs and things. But, you know, there will be some things where it'll be 11 o'clock at night and somebody will repost some on Instagram and, and I will send them a text, not to tell them to take it down, but to ask them, like, what do you really mean by that? 
What's your thought process behind that? Right, right. And are these factual things? Have you thought this one through? Are you just reposting it because World Star Hip Hop said that it happened? Like TMZ said it happened. Did you do any fact-based research on your own? You know, think before you speak, because a lot of these things, you know, my tweets from five years ago can be found. And people tend to do that the more in the open you get. They tend to try to dig stuff up to kind of throw it against you. So just understand Today, it may be a thought, but it may be something that prevents you from doing something in the future. So for me, you know, I'm very outspoken. I tell everybody all the time, um, I'm TJ Tibbs before I'm Coach Tibbs. So that always takes, um, that's that's always my priorities, myself and my family and how I'm representing that. And then I'm a coach and I'm representing the program and the, and the guys. So the guys expect for me to be a leader, to be honest, to be upfront. And I expect them to do the same. We create leaders in our programs. We respect opinions. But at the same time, it's our job to make sure that we're gathering perspective about different things. And because of what's going on in the world, we talk about we talk about race pretty bluntly. I mean, I'm a young black male. So um, my view on my on my life, um, especially living in Staten Island, is not really based on being young and black and a male but it's based on my experience and my experiences may have been because i am young and black and a male or either of the three so we, we consistently speak about race you know even before all these things um i have an nypd officer coming every year to speak to our, our kids because everybody thinks they know the law when they get pulled over and you really don't so um i don't want people to get pulled over and think they're they they're not supposed to do something because it's not the law when it actually is. And that's really why you see a lot of things going on. So we just try to educate our guys, encourage them to educate themselves and have open dialogue. We argue a lot about everything, right? Who should be the MVP or, you know, what's going on socially or uh, anything. We argue a lot and it's encouraged and yeah, players argue with coaches and we have to be totally fine with that. Nobody will say anything to disrespect each other. Uh, We don't cross those lines, but um, I think that's a big issue with the world is that we're developing people that just can't deal with conflict. They just want to gather in spaces where people are going to agree with them and they can't face an opposite opinion um, without raging. So we try to develop those skills and it's, it's, it's very uncomfortable a lot of times, but, we all love each other. And if we can't do it with each other, then who can we do it with? I, I mean, that was beautifully said, man. I mean, having discourse and even if you want to call it an argument, it's probably the wrong word, but disagreements or, or whatever it is to then maybe find common ground in somewhere where you didn't expect it or, uh, you know, really work around a topic to figure out maybe what the, the real issues are is how you get better or how we all get better. Uh, when we're talk, talking about these topics, being about these topics and dealing with the world we live in today. So my question to you about that situation is, I mean, I, I saw Doc River, uh, Doc Rivers talking. He was like, you know, I'm a coach. I'm not a politician. I'm not this, but I guess I, I'm a leader by trade as being a coach. And the fact that, you know, we have to come out here and talk about these things is not something maybe we signed up for, but it's something that's so important. So, for you now with these situations and, you know, feel free to take this wherever you want. When you talk about black lives matter and you talk about uh, racial injustice, is that something that you as the coach and the leader of the program 
will kind of bring to the forefront of these conversations, or do you kind of allow your players to take it there if they uh, want to, and then you're there, obviously, to facilitate, lead, uh, discuss, and do all that stuff? Yeah, well, a little bit of both. I think there has to be a balance uh, because you're developing kids, and, you know, a lot of our kids are 18, 19, 20 years old, Um, and even the kids that are 21, 22, they're still developing. Um, They still don't know how to say the right thing. They don't know what's offensive. So sometimes you have to have guided conversations um, and then kind of let them go from there. Um, Whenever somebody has something on their mind or something they want to get off their chest, whether it be something that we've had a conversation with privately or something that I've seen them post, I always encourage them to bring it to the group, Uh, bring it to your brothers, bring it, you know, if, if you can only say it around people who agree with you, then what are you really saying? I think that's really cowardly. Mm -hmm. Uh, especially if you're talking about making change. But me personally, especially with racial injustice, social injustice, Black Lives Matter, I'm actually somebody who never says Black Lives Matter because um, what started out as a rallying cry, and honestly, I think the last month I found out that it was an actual group, which to me are a bunch of people who were opportunists who were taking advantage of a rallying cry. Um, I don't really say that. I, I don't live my life in hashtags because I feel like I'm smart enough and intelligent enough to be able to articulate my thoughts more than a hashtag. And I'm not knocking anybody that uses hashtags, but um, hashtags are so incendiary. Um, If somebody says Black Lives Matter, All Lives Matter, they may say something before that that is thorough and actually has a lot of great points. But then when you cap it off with something that somebody just doesn't agree with in today's society, it, you might as well not have said anything before I had any thoughts. So Great I point. try to stay away from the hashtags um, to not group myself with anybody because by my thoughts, you will see what I'm aligned with. And most times I'm just going to be aligned with positive things. And if things are broken, change, and you can't put me in a box and I don't want to be put in a box without you speaking to me about it. So, um, you know, there's a lot of times when things go on, we attack it head on and, Um, whether it be things with COVID, things with uh, relations between police and African-Americans or just police in general, Um, the shootings that have gone on. um, I'll put that right in our group chat. And we actually have something that we're going to speak about tomorrow where I told our team that they had to speak to five people of different races from themselves um, about what their thoughts are about police and about how they see themselves in life. Because I don't think a lot of people, especially being from Staten Island and the way that Staten Island is, and it's an amazing place with amazing people, but sometimes it doesn't lend best to giving people perspective about other parts. Um, We hear it all the time, North Shore, South Shore, North Shore, South Shore. Exactly where my head was just going. Right. So it's, and I have great friends on both shores and I don't really see it that way. All the areas different. I mean, yeah, of course they are different, but that they don't have to be different. Um, You know, I don't want to be a person who feels like I can only eat in certain places or areas because there are more people that look like me or more people that are used to seeing people that look like me. And with that being said, honestly, I'm in a position where not that I, on Staten Island, it's hard for me to escape who I am because of my father and the great things that he has done. And because of the role I'm in as a college basketball coach, we're right. only two colleges on Staten Island. So I don't, I'm not just a random person. I'm nobody famous or special, but also there's a lot of people that know me for different reasons. 
And I also know there are a lot of people who will probably say, well, well, Tibbs is not that bad, <laughs> you know, or yeah, but it's, that's not what we're talking about. Tibbs like, no, that's the whole point. We're trying to get away from that. So I've worked very hard to be who I am, but at the same time, when I look in the Mariners Harbor projects and the area where I'm from and I see kids, I see myself literally. Um, so, and everybody's not going to see coach Tibbs and a nine-year-old kid that lives in the Mariners Harbor projects. And I'm trying to tell people like that kid is me. He probably is more talented than me than me and a lot of things, but maybe he doesn't have the same opportunities that I have had. And that's just having perspective. I know a lot of people, a lot of friends, rich white people, poor white people, rich black people, poor black. The best thing that I have, and I got to thank my parents, is that I have perspective. And I'm just trying to use my perspective to help other people gain perspective. And and that's all I can do as a contributor to society. Another just beautifully said thing, and, and what, what that brings to my mind is uh, the main sentiment that I always fall back on with all these different situations is trying to put yourself in other people's shoes, even though it's not going to be a hundred percent percent successful. I'm not going to be able to put myself in your shoes a hundred percent. You're not going to be able to put your, my, yourself in my shoes a hundred percent, but if you can try, if you can start to make those steps of understanding why someone else is having uh, a tough go of it or why someone else is succeeding or any, anything in between and everybody from a teammate to a, a boss to a significant other, uh, you have to be able to put yourself in their shoes and understand why, you know, they be maybe struggling without you saying, Oh, well, my life wasn't so, uh, wasn't so easy either. And I think that's something that's really hard for some people. And maybe it's a defense mechanism. I don't know what it is exactly, but that's something I hear a lot. And speaking about Staten Island, obviously we're both from there. We both went to, um, you know, Catholic all boys high schools where, you know, boys can be a little bit more assertive about their points and a little boys can be boys type of situations. So, you know, I'll, I'll see some people say like, Oh, well, well, my life wasn't so easy. Uh, wasn't so easy. It was hard. Blah blah blah. I'm like, it doesn't matter. No one's saying your life wasn't easy. But if you're not even gonna admit that someone else's life was also not easy, perhaps harder, we're we're, we're losing the point. We're losing perspective. Um, and that's kind of what my head went to when when you were speaking on all that situation. Uh, I, I do have a question, kind of specifically about being a coach in these situations, right? So. Now, when especially with you in the college perspective now, where people from different high schools, people from this all over the city are coming to play, uh, they don't know each other. They may have never played each other before. They may have zero clue. The best player on your team may have no idea who the best recruit coming is uh, coming in is. They may have just met right when they got to CSI. How would you handle it? Say, if you had a new player or or a current player, or older player, doesn't even matter who was speaking out very strongly on a specific subject that may have, you know, may have offended some other players on your teams. How, how would you as a coach go about that? Because I, I think about all these people every year now going to a new school and we say sports brings people together. It creates brothers, which is a hundred percent true. But in this, uh, you know, world we live in today, if there is some radical feelings from a specific player and he is a part of the team, and you know some teammates don't agree with that, how would you try to, you know, smooth it out, make everyone try to understand each other, and, and make your team truly become that team? Yeah, well, I probably wouldn't smooth it out, to tell you the truth, um, because 
No kid on my team thinks that if you call them a boy, they'd be very offended. Now, they're young men, right? They're not men yet. They're young men, and we treat them like men. Um, That's part of our preparation for life. But we do try to make people aware of the words that they're saying and what they're using. Now, in the end, I don't want to stifle anybody's thought process. Um, That's not my right. Um, I could be there to remind them of potentially how somebody's going to feel but the kids that we have are great. So I would hope that they have thought about that. If you feel really strongly about something and you put your name to it about what you said, stand behind it if you feel that way, but be prepared to defend that and be prepared to understand that other people that are close to you may not agree with you. Mm. And I encourage my kids to surround themselves with people who disagree with them every single day. My best friends and I've never been put in more group chats in my life than when all this stuff started rehappening with all the social injustice and everything. It's just people we're talking about it every single day. And we all, we definitely don't agree every single day and it's refreshing. It's great because you need to be able to say at some point, and I tell them like, when's the last time you said you're right? Mm. Not even that I'm wrong. Just you're right. Or good point. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So you know, people can, you can maybe not agree with somebody's overall point, but there's no way that, you know, I use Donald Trump as a, as a point of reference. I don't care whether you like him or you don't like him. I don't care if you want to vote for him or you don't want to vote for him. That's your right. But if you like him, there's no way you can say that everything that he has done or said has been right. That's just literally impossible. On the flip side, if you don't like him, you can't say that there's not something out there or some things that he has done that has benefited you or has been a good thing. That's literally impossible. Mm -hmm. And we're just getting away from that. We're just living life in absolutes. And that's just not, life is not black and white like that. Um, You know, it's just not cut and dry like that. Um, So if kids have an issue on our team, if I have to facilitate a talk, then I would, but I don't want to put any thoughts in people's head because it's a part of growing up and understanding that, um, you know, there's some repercussions for your actions, whether they're, right or they're they're not right but you know you need to speak to your brothers you need to tell them exactly how you feel and if you talk around them to somebody else then I just think you're really soft and there's just no room for that in our program and and I don't care how well you can play basketball or uh, put the ball in the basket it's just you have an issue deal with it directly because that's how I'm gonna do it right you don't have to guess you don't have to guess how I feel about you I'm gonna tell you whether for better or for worse, but then people need to learn that, you know, you, you need to get your feelings off your chest and then just hug it out afterwards and let's just move on. That's it. Right. And there's definitely something to, you know, the team atmosphere, the sport atmosphere that does encourage those connections to be made that probably wouldn't be made otherwise, which is a beautiful thing. And it's, it's some of the reasons why, you know, we all love sports in, in so many different walks of life from being a, a guy on your couch watching to being on teams when you were younger to playing at high levels, all that stuff has brought people together for years and years. Uh, and I hope, and it sounds like in your program over there, that is even continuing further and further. And the fact that you're treating them like men and are giving them the respect of men and not going to, you know, hold them back in any facet, just help push them forward. Uh, it's fantastic to hear. Uh, so I appreciate that. I mean, is, is there, I mean, it's kind of tough because I'm, so I, uh, do this podcast, right. And to be a hundred percent with you, like not that many people listen to it, right. Some there's, there's a, a very consistent number of people that I'm super proud of that listen to this podcast. Like 
I am so proud that it's grown, trickled up year over year. More and more people listen to it. More and more people clicking on it. I'm definitely like super proud of that. But then I, I try to navigate which topics to bring up. When do we talk about it? How much do we talk about it? Because I know squarely how I feel about the subject. So uh, maybe I'm just asking for some advice. How would you recommend if somebody were, it is like that thing where I my friend had a question, but it's just me. If I were to ask you, how would you <laughs> recommend like me to navigate the social situations where, you know, it's kind of a balance, like you said before, where you don't want to probably make the whole podcast every episode about social issues, but you also can't ignore it because it's so woven into sports right now and it's so important. And we did a whole segment at the end of the show, uh, the one that came out just on Tuesday morning, where I talked about Jamal Murray and what he did after the game of his life. And like, that was so beautiful and powerful and and amazing. And then we talked about Chadwick Boseman and John Thompson. And like, it was really, really awesome. And like, obviously somber in some ways, but really great. Like, how would you basically say to me, if I said, dude, how do I navigate this? How much is too much? How much is too little? What would you say to that? I would tell you to do what feels natural and, and not to do any more, any less, then you feel like you have to. If you don't want to speak about it at all, then I would encourage you not to speak about it. You know, everybody doesn't feel comfortable. Um, Of course, everybody has some sort of opinion about what's going on. It's impossible to not have any opinion. It's such a polarizing thing that's going on. But you can cover it as least, so you can speak about it as as least or more than as you you want. And I just think it just has to flow naturally. for some people, they're thinking about it all the time, whether it makes them angry or they're personally affected or whatever the case. So you hear about it more. Some people, they can't really relate to what's going on. They don't think about it at all. And, you know, as a journalist, because this is what this is, this is journalism, I think you have a duty to at least touch on it. So as a sports journalist, I, I think it's hard to kind of gloss over anything Uh, that's going on because there's such a lot going on in every sport but from a personal standpoint it's just you know there's no right amount or wrong amount Um, there's no right opinion or wrong opinion it's just honesty and just having different conversations and dialogue uh, with different people trying to get their thoughts on you know you may see the Jamal Murray thing as one thing I may see it as one thing somebody else may see it as another thing or another thing and it's not necessary that anybody is wrong. It's just they feel a certain type of way because of their experiences. And it's hard for me to judge somebody's experiences if I don't even know them. So the one thing about social media and media is everybody gets mad about how the media reports things, but nobody blames themselves for the way that they're consuming things. Mm. So that's a good point. Um, so we point the blame on, oh, ESPN puts this or you know, like, the why do you think they put when they kneel on TV? Like, that was like that for, like, the first games in the bubble. And now I don't even know if they're kneeling for the national anthem because they're not playing it anymore. Mm-hmm. So they moved on to something else. They know that that's an incendiary topic and that you're going to tune in whether you're going to agree with somebody talking about it or you're going to be so fired up and disgusted by it. I haven't seen so many people on Facebook from their 40s to 50s 60 years old talking about they're not going to oh watch the NBA. Gosh. Like who, who not going like, to watch football. They're going to boycott football, football this year. Like, I'm like, who, all right, I'll like, see you on who, Sunday. <laughs> who cares? Like these things are billion dollar industries. Like yeah. nobody cares that like 
nobody cares that John Doe from Staten Island doesn't want to watch football. Just right. Then don't do it. Like, you know, so it's, it's, it's entertaining to me, that aspect and people have the right to, to speak about it negatively or positively, whether I agree with it or not, but it's just like you, you people expose themselves for, for either not being smart or not having perspective by when they speak. The thing about freedom of speech is that it's a beautiful thing, but for me, it's amazing because what it does is it exposes a lot of people more than it gives me any information. So people just speak on the fact that they can say whatever they want, but you just make yourself look stupid a lot of times because you're not thinking about anything. There's no thought behind what you're doing. Um, So no, it's just whatever's natural. Um, I don't wake up in the morning and say like, you know what? I got to make sure I touch this. There's just a lot of things that I don't touch at all. And there's sometimes where I just feel like I need to get a thought out there on, on a social platform because it's how I feel. And I always try to encourage people. Like if you disagree, please, I would love to speak to you because let, I want to gain perspective, but you don't really get people who want to disagree with you because they don't want to come out and do that. People cannot really have disagreements. So shout out to the people on social media who have disagreed with me. We've had great talks and, and I've opened my eyes to some things and like, you know, I never thought about it like that. And I'm sure they never thought about it the way that I'm saying. So I'm not trying to have an argument or debate with you to, to prove to you that I'm right. There is no right. But just so you can say like, okay, like, you know, I never, I never thought about that. And, you know, I'm going to try to put myself in, in those shoes sometimes. Right. I mean, living in that gray area that you were talking about before that it's not black and white is so important. And then, I mean, the one takeaway I just took from that is like authenticity is that that's kind of what it's all about. You know, I, I think it would be inauthentic if I came on the Subway Sports Talk podcast that I never touched a political topic in the past two years. And all of a sudden, every episode, an hour was social issues. I think, like you said, that kind of it may not even hit the way I would want it to say I were doing that. It would come off as inauthentic. And the authenticity is kind of what matters. And then, you know, having those conversations and discourse and good back and forth rather than no, you're wrong and you're dumb and I'm right and I'm smart because that, that gets everybody nowhere fast. Um, that, and that, that's, that's good stuff right there. So let me ask you this about the NBA players right now as a consumer of the product. I mean, I've been locked into these NBA playoffs. They've been super fun. Um, really good. They've been ha- really good. A, how have you appreciated the on-the-court product and like based off of how you would have expected them to come back into the bubble? And B, what's your like impression on how they're – focusing on the court and then making a consistent effort off the court to keep moving forward in the other walks of life. So, Hey, I mean, I think the basketball has been really good Um, with the time that they've had off. It's almost like, and you see it with like Dame Lillard and Luca, it's almost like having an, an off season where guys have come back and continue to add stuff to their games that were a little bit different from when in the season. So that has been beautiful to watch. And they have been, the games have been really competitive and I know it's tough for them to play in empty gyms and, you know, from a consumer standpoint at home, it doesn't really look that much different because the NBA has done such a great job with the crowd noise and the camera angles. And it's been really, really good. The basketball has been great. It's been it's been they're in great shape. It's been much better than I could expect for it to be because I didn't have super high expectations. We didn't know what we'd be looking at, but it's been really, really good. Um, B, the first thing I think people have to understand about the NBA attack and social issues is that 
the NBA is 80% black. So, and not only that, more importantly, I think, is a lot of the NBA players, and I don't want to speak for everybody, but a, a good number of the NBA players have come from a lot of the inner city neighborhoods that are being represented by the social injustice that is going on. So it's funny to me when people say, because there is truth in this. LeBron James and myself, we don't have the same life. He has lots of money. He's never worried about driving and getting pulled over. And if he is, he's LeBron James. So more times than not, that's going to get him out of things or get a different level of treatment. Um, he has security around him all the time. He lives in multi-million dollar houses. So we don't have the same life. No, like I may relate to a random white guy more than I relate to LeBron James. Those are facts. But what people forget is that LeBron James didn't just wake up and become this 18 year old millionaire basketball player. Right. He was literally somebody who was raised in a single uh, parent household with just his mom. Um, moved from place to place consistently and lived at a bunch of different people's houses. So he was the random 13-year-old walking around, probably looking like a 17-year-old that had to walk around the same type of streets that a lot of these kids out there have had to navigate. And if you think he's never had an interaction with police that has been negative, then I just think that's very short-sighted. And that's just one person. There's tons of other people that use basketball to escape poverty or as a way out to help their family. And they do get paid really well. But the one thing that really bothers me is when people get on the players for what they're doing, because they don't agree with them and why, what they don't agree with why they're protesting. It's not the protest because (laughs) athletes have proven time and time again, it doesn't matter what they do. Like people are going to be upset about it. But you kneel, you stand, you sit, like it don't matter. They're going to find a way to be mad. That's a tired argument. You don't play, you do play. It's a tired argument. But the biggest thing is like they complain about these guys being millionaires and you get to play a game and all that. But nobody talks about the owners being billionaires. Like, oh, when when football players hold out, they talk about how they're millionaire babies. and But nobody talks about how the, the owners are billionaires and making way more money than the players and not risking their their lives, you know, their health and all that stuff. So, I think just like when when people, you know, cover these things, the players are doing a tremendous job. The league is doing a tremendous job supporting them. And all they're doing is raising, they have a lot of power. I had a great conversation the other day when the Bucs decided to, well, end up being postponed but forfeited their game. And there were so many people that were just saying, well, what is this going to do? Well, number one, they're trying other things to get through to people and they feel like it's not working. So they're trying to do something else. Number two, you have to understand what leverage is. Mm. Their owner, so that thing happened in Wisconsin with Jacob Blake and the Milwaukee Bucks are obviously in Wisconsin. I don't know who the owners are of the Milwaukee Bucks, but if you don't think they have a, they don't have a direct line to the governor, to the mayor, to the attorney, to attorney general, did they're billionaires. So politicians are hitting them up for money all the time. So if you don't think they have a direct line to the people who make policy and can make things happen, then you're foolish. And it's the players putting pressure on the owners to do even more to support them. Yeah, you're letting us do all this and this is great. 
but we need more because this stuff is still going on and this is egregious. So, and it's just an awesome thing. I think what the NBA players are doing or just continue to raise awareness. And to me, it's funny because the people who are really bothered by it are the ones who said they weren't going to watch in the first place. So I don't understand right. how you're seeing this. Yeah. That's um, funny. <laughs> so, um, no, the players are doing a great job. I think the league is doing a great job. Um, I don't think everything they're doing is amazing. I wish that the Bucks would have actually forfeited that game. Mm. That's my opinion. Um, I, I think that would have been a little bit stronger of a message to their owner. The owner would have had to pay a $5 million fine, which is a drop in the bucket for that guy, but it's also still $5 million. Rattles it somehow. So, yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, we'll see. Guys are not always going to do the right thing per se, and everybody's not always going to agree with them. But I do appreciate them bringing notice out there to the world and having people debate with people on Facebook and representing a bunch of people who literally don't have too much of a voice. Right. And yeah, it's fun. It's funny. Like the thing you mentioned about how people don't think about the owners when someone's holding out for, you know, a few million dollars, they also don't recognize that these players careers on average last like four or five years, you know, mm-hmm. like not every NFL player is going for 14 years. Most of them are going for four years. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so yeah, they may make a million dollars right now, but uh, they have like a lot more years to go and they need these dollars. Like all these dollars matter. And, and that's why like, I think a lot more people are pro players in that regard where they are t- saying players, you know, get your money. Like, you know, franchises in general aren't loyal that it's a business. So like you should be a business too. And I think there are some great strides that if we're talking about LeBron, he helped create the, some of those strides. So, I mean, we're getting there and, and I guess it sometimes depends on who you're talking to. Uh, but yeah, it's been, it's been really cool to see and it's not stopping. That, that's what's been really cool. I think is all these NBA players, NBA players that, you know, even though they took the two day hiatus or whatever you want to call it and they came back, some people say, Oh, what's the point? The point was already made. If they left, maybe they couldn't continue the point as strong as they did if they stayed. So there's, there's always an argument. There's always a coulda, shoulda, but the fact that their effort uh, is there and their organization is backing them. I heard Le'Veon Bell say this uh, about the NFL. And I thought it was really, really powerful. He said, all these years, the NFL has told us to protect the shield. It's time for the shield to protect us. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that was wise. Like that was a wise, smart thing to say. Like that's perfectly said. And I think maybe the NFL is taking that step. And to all the people who said, I'm not watching on Sunday. Yeah, we'll see if you're tweeting. I wish I was petty. Like, I wish I was a pettier person because all the people (laughs) who said they're not watching, I'd be saying, freezing cold take, freezing cold take. You're watching, you're watching. But I just don't really care. Like, I'm I'm thinking about other stuff and and moving forward. And those people, we're not changing some of these people's minds anyway. So, you know, what's the point of arguing somebody till you're blue in the face on Facebook or on Twitter or whatever when they're not having a conversation, they're just spewing their side of the things. And, and that's right. something that I, and that's even goes into simple sports conversations. You know, I could say James Harden, I loved, I loved his game. Like, he's a super efficient. He doesn't get enough credit for his passing. Somebody could just comment, ball hog, ball hog, ball hog, ball hog. They're not having a conversation. They're not saying that, uh, why James Harden comes up short in the playoffs, why he isn't as good as another person. They're just saying some nonsense. You're not having a conversation. So in, mm. in all those aspects, man, a lot, a lot of people need work. But, I mean, I, I love hearing what, you, what you're putting down over here, uh, especially, you know, what you're doing with your guys over at CSI. Uh, let me ask you this. Is there a, you know, we'll, we'll move off a little bit. With Staten Island specifically, obviously not all your players are from Staten Island, but is there – a little uh, interstate island rivalry 
that goes on at CSI practice. I can imagine where, uh, you know, you got maybe a Peters guy, a Curtis guy, a Farrell guy, a Moore guy, all on your squad. You get, we get some good practice battles out there. I'll tell you this one. It's me versus any Farrell kid that ever comes through <laughs> my program. That's for sure. Yeah. And last year, I mean, last year I had two, uh, James Delahanty and, and, and Joe Zeris and, Andrew Cartalis is the only St. Peter's kid in our program. And every time there'd be a Peter's foul game, we'd have a little friendly wager um, that had to do with wearing the other school's shirt um, if the school won. And, you know, after each game, you know, because St. Peter's did win both of those games this year. So <laughs> humble brag, know, humble would, brag. Yeah. So, you know, we would, <laughs> we would, uh, we would uh, give them a, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot of stuff, but no, it's fun. I think uh, the best thing about our guys and the best thing about Staten Island is th- these guys do play against each other in high school, but they do a good job of coming together and, you know, opening night. Adio Latunji was on our team last year. He's a Curtis guy. So him and Andrew Cartalis are going back and forth and watching the game and, and this and that. And it's fun because, you know, I still have a lot of pride in my high school and, you know, it's 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 a great thing about Staten Island. You grow up on Staten Island, you have a tremendous high school sports experience, and um, that stays with you for a very long time. So um, none of that really when they're playing. Um, but, um, you know, who knows? We'll see as, as the years <laughs> go on and we start to add, uh, you know, more guys from different programs and, you know, and see, see how. I don't really know. I say this all the time. I went to St. Peter's. We played on TV every Thanksgiving Eve. We played at CSI. I don't know what this year was the first year I ever went to another Thanksgiving Eve game in my life. Oh, wow. Where'd, where'd you go? I, never, I went to Farrell versus C. Oh, my gosh. We recruiting Justin Zeros, who's now a part of our program. Good player. And, um, yeah, great player. And and I I told him before the game, I remember texting him like, man, I must like you because I'm going to watch a game that's not Peter's Was Curtis. it at like, Farrell I'm, or at C? It was at C. Oh, Incredible so you environment. Had a, you had to go all the way down there, too? If it was that Farrell, I don't know if I would have won. I'm oh, not gonna lie. wow! You're gonna you're gonna hit me with that right here. <laughs> you going to C before Farrell? That hurts a little bit. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, man, you don't and, go to St. Peter's and have a rivalry with C. Like that's just not. Oh, true. I guess a little bit, a little far. You know, it's not quite the same. Like the Farrell C rivalry. Not boys, they have girls in their school, man. Like it's not the same as Farrell Peters. I know Peters and C. I mean Farrell and C have their own rivalry, and Moore and C yeah. have their own rivalry, but. You know, it's Peters Curtis and Peters Farrell. And really, honestly, and I think a lot of Peters guys would say this, like, I don't think anybody in Peters hates Curtis. I don't, like, that's not the feeling. It's just the first game. Like, we dislike Farrell. Like, that's what it is. Like, you go to Peters and it's just, like, the sight of Maroon. I get it. I get it. I mean, listen, so I'm a Farrell guy, but I uh, grew up on a more North Shore end of Staten Island. So, like, I grew up. I was close. My brother was real close. He was older than me, and he chose Farrell, but he was real close to going to Peters. I went to grammar school with tons of kids who went to Peters. Uh, so I feel like I'm an individual, uh, me, my own person, who doesn't have a hate for Peters like that, but I cannot speak for all my other Farrell, uh, you know, teammates, classmates, whatever. I appreciate you being nice and saying that. <laughs> no, I mean, I had, us, but we I just, I'm being dead ass, though. I had, I had friends like, from Peters, who I knew from way before, kids who went to St. Teresa, Blessed Sacrament. Like, I, I knew a lot of Peters kids before. Like, if I went to Peters, I would have known probably, like, you know, say 30 people, 40 people in the freshman class. I went to Farrell, I knew, like, seven. 
So mm-hmm. it, it was different. So a lot of people I knew before, you know, I knew a kid in seventh, eighth grade. I'm not going to see him in high school and like try, you know, try to go at him like that. Like they were my boys. So I was always the kid at Farrell who, you know, I'm competing my ass off. I'm trying to beat Peters every time. Don't get it. Don't get it wrong. But you know, after the game, I'm like, what up? You know? So mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. I might be unique in that situation, but I never had the hate for Peters. Also, you know what I just th- thought about when you were saying this, I-, I wish football did a little more, uh, inter public Catholic yeah. competition, because I know you were just talking about, you know, Peters versus Curtis is always like epic games and, and great rivalry and stuff like that. And I think about Gus Edwards uh, on the Ravens. He's mm-hmm. my grade. Like he's in my grade. One of my best friends played with him at Tottenville. And I would have loved to play Tottenville. They had great talent. They were a great program uh, at that time. And I, I kind of wish football had some of that, that intertwined rivalries there. Cause we missed out. Like I never played Tottenville, never played other than, you know, Kurt, Fort yeah, Rick, Curtis. Fort, I played them in like scrimmages before the season, but right. that doesn't really count. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say that too. The one thing I like this year is the football season. If it happens, uh, every Catholic school is going to play each other. Um, so, you know, Moore, C, Farrell, Peters, they're all going to play each other one time, which I think is awesome. And, you know, every one of those games is going to be packed. You know, COVID, well, if they're, if they're you allowed. Know, they, <laughs> if they're allowed and with COVID. But I think that's just great energy for the island. And, you know, some teams may be mismatched, but. I'd rather play a mismatched team on Staten Island than play a mismatched team from somewhere else. So, you know, hopefully that works out in the long run with that for football. Absolutely. And uh, I don't I don't know how much uh, time you got, but I got a couple more things to hit. I got a couple more questions like, to ask you. As much as you need. Awesome. So I, I want to talk kind of about, like, maybe some coaching strategy, some overall theoretical basketball stuff that I, I tend to think about uh, that I kind of just want to get your take on. So, first of all, this is going to be possibly a simple one. So the three-pointer has become incredibly important. Some would say it's taken over the NBA. Has that hit the college ranks from your experience as well? Is the three now like a huge shot, whereas in the past it was probably more of a supplementary shot? Yeah, it's really, really big, and I think it's even bigger in college because just well, of the, the playing surface in the space. Closer, the, right? NBA, the NBA line, yeah, it's way closer. Guys don't even shoot near the line. Um, it's just, you know, everybody – the shot is just – not that it's easy, but it's just not a difficult shot for people that practice it. Like almost everybody on your roster has the potential to hit the shot. And NBA three is a little bit different, um, especially for guys who are not as versed in shooting. But I think analytically, and I'm somebody who over the last two years has taken more of an interest in analytics and just trying to learn some of that stuff and the whys behind it. And there's a lot of it. There's a lot of good things about analytics and the reason why the Bucks and the Rockets have embraced it thoroughly. But, you know, every team in the NBA has embraced analytics and the three point shot is one of the, the biggest things. And, and when you shoot and at what point, what types of shots you should be working for and why people think mid range is dead and why people don't take mid range. It's it, a lot of those things make sense, but in the end for close games, especially college situations where you're not playing seven game series, you're not playing 82 game seasons. Um, When games are close and time is going down, like you you need to just, you need to put the ball in the basket. So um, ideally every time down, you would like to get three from a good shooter or a wide open layup, you know, one of those two, but um, you know, there are other things in the game that, you know, you have to attack, whether it be mid range and, and whatever the case may be, but the NBA has totally just embraced the three point line and, and I don't think it's going anywhere anytime soon. 
Yeah, unless they wipe out the corner three. Like, unless they do something a little more radical like that, you know, we're not seeing the three-point attempts going down at all. What I think is interesting, what you just said, and I talk about this on the pod all the time, when it comes down to it and the games are close and it's tight in the fourth quarter, a mid-range shot is as good as if it goes in. You know what I'm saying? So, like, Chris Paul is proving it to us all right now. In these playoffs, this entire season, his existence as an NBA player, he has shown us. That shot's a good shot if you can make it at a certain clip. And I'm curious, I mean, you're obviously watching high school kids, you're coaching college kids. I'm sure you're even seeing kids play younger than that. Do you think people maybe growing up not learning to shoot from mid-range or not, like, practicing the progression of get, like extending your range, is that hurting players, though, like who are young right now? That's a great question. I'm not sure if it's hurting players. I think they need to understand, more importantly, shot selection and why they're taking the shots that they're taking more than the skill of getting a shot from a certain area. What I try to tell kids and parents, especially from young, is that there's only one or two kids on every team that have the ball all the time. And everybody else is a complimentary player, uh, which means you have to create your offense off of their offense. Um, the easiest thing to do is to stand, space the floor, and to shoot a three. Um, you're not always going to get an open three off a pass, so you're going to have to rip the ball through and attack the basket hard. Or depending on what the shot clock is at, you might have to take some sort of mid-range shot. But I think what it is, and Chris Paul used a great word, was efficiency. He's super efficient. So he is a guy that it makes sense for him to take that because, in theory, the mid-range is not an efficient shot. You're usually not going to get fouled on it. So you have to literally shoot 50% from mid-range to account for shooting 34% from three. Um, And that's why people want to try to attack the three-point line more because your efficiency doesn't have to be as thorough to get those points. Um, And attacking the rim, because it collapses defenses and creates open threes and open looks, and also get you free throws because in theory you can get an easier shot if you have an open layup at the rim. You can collapse the defense to kick for an open three, which is a really efficient shot from a good shooter, um, or you get to the free throw line. You know, that's why defenses are built to stop certain things like that and to stop corner threes. Um, and, they'll, you know, you see a lot of drop coverage in the NBA, so they'll kind of goad you into taking that mid-range shot because you have to hit that at such a high rate consistently to be the team who on the other end is going to be searching for threes and searching for more efficient shots. Because basketball is a game of simple math. You get the ball and the other team gets the ball. It's an equal opportunity game. It's not score, you keep it. So um, if you're taking shots that are going to give you a chance to get a large number of points and the other team is not doing that, you have a chance of scoring a lot more points than they can ever even get with the shots that they're taking. So I understand that aspect of it, but kids do need to understand that, especially if you're a player that's going to be one of the lead players on the team, that you need to be able to score from all three levels. Um, you have to. And on a, on a smaller scale, other players don't. But as you get older, you start to get a little bit more specialized and start to figure out your roles on specific teams. But everybody, as they're growing up, should be working on, should be working on everything that has to do with a three-level game until uh, their games don't need that anymore. Absolutely. I mean, that's it. It's the balance. It's back to a balance a little bit again there, right? Like, you have to understand. And the, the Warriors, I think, were a great 
uh, microcosm of this because they're looked at as the team that really brought this three-point movement up to the forefront of the NBA, right? But realistically, if you watch them in their most recent season uh, at full strength with KD, Clay, before everybody got hurt and whatnot, they took a lot of mid-rangers, and they weren't near the top uh, of teams that, you know, three-point attempt teams. Kevin Durant, though, incredibly efficient, like one of the best scorers we've ever seen in our entire life, if not the best, maybe. Steph Curry, best shooter we've ever seen, probably. Clay Thompson, right there. Those dudes are efficient enough to shoot the mid-range. Uh, and I think people just get confused, especially people who don't watch loads of NBA basketball. You know, they're going to just think, oh, threes, 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 this game changed. It's not the same game. Like, I, I miss the toughness of it. It's like, nah, there's a lot more going on than than you think with the movement, the off-ball screens, and all, and all these different facets of the game. Uh, it's very interesting. Now, in regards to specific players, are there players who, on one hand, you encourage your players to watch specifically, like watch tape on almost, not just like obviously watch on a random Tuesday night on the couch, but are there specific NBA players that you would say to a certain guy, like your point guard, you know, watch how this guy does this, watch how this guy does that. And then are there certain players where you should say, you know, don't watch him because that's some advanced stuff that we're not there yet. Yeah, great question. I think uh, with all our guys, what we try to do is we, we try to, outline a plan for how we see their games um, and what they are. The offseason is for getting better and improving on things that you can already do, um, but also adding some things to your game that are going to fit with what we do as a team. Um, I do give, uh, to use our point guard as an example, our point guard is Christian Taylor, and I think he's one of the best point guards in the country. Um, We speak about uh, what he does well and who does things well well like that in the NBA or even in college. Um, We'll clip up some things um, from other players in college. Um, He's somebody who's incredibly efficient from the mid-range. So he's encouraged to continue to take those. And because he's our point guard and he has the ball in his hand all the time, he needs to be able to have a threat of scoring from that level Um, because that opens up other things for him, whether it be the three-point shot or whether it be getting to the basket or whether it be in turn making somebody else better by giving them an easy chance to shoot. So there are times where we'll talk about, you know, nobody's Dame Lillard and nobody's Chris Paul, but there are aspects within their footwork and how they come off screens or how they attack things that we can work on. And I can say, well, look, we're teaching you this because this is what it looks like in a game against this pick and roll coverage or against this type of defense or against the length, uh, you know, because Chris Paul almost always plays against guys that are bigger than him. Um, especially in the NBA now where switching is so prevalent. So this is how he attacks length. This is how he attacks this. This is the reads. These are the reads. Um, You know, we speak about those things a lot. Now, the NBA game is definitely different from the college game. The rules, the spacing, um, a lot of it is is so different. So there's a lot of reasons why guys get things. Also, fouling. Um, These guys get these swing throughs and all these things that you just can't get in the college game. Um, because it's entertainment. Um, They're able to get away with footwork things that you can't get away with in college because it's entertainment. Um, So it's got to be a good balance. You know, we definitely do tell guys, you know, I'm a guy that doesn't like to stifle my players, but at the same time, you have to know what you're good at. I mean, we should should know that you shouldn't be shooting three-pointers because you're not that great at it. Um, And I don't want you to do something you're mediocre at. I want anything that you do is to do because you practice it and because you're really good at it. 
So if that's one thing and that's just standing and shooting threes and just stand there and shoot threes mm. and then off season, just get better at the things that you can't do that will help complement your game. Um, there's nothing wrong with being a one trick pony. If that one trick is really good and it's, it's helping you guys have um, made a lot of money with one trick. Oh, <laughs> uh, the, the guys, a lot of made, made a lot of money with no tricks, but let me digress <laughs> from that. Um, not so, going to name you know, names out here. <laughs> <laughs> no, but, um, no, the NBA comparisons, I think, you know, all our guys turn on the NBA to some extent. So we'll be watching a game or whatever. I might throw something in a chat, like. Oh, that's something that we've been working on. You see what Dame Lillard did, or you see what LeBron did. Actually, LeBron did something in the uh, the game versus the Clippers in the pre not the preseason, but one of the, the eight bubble, games. The bubble, yeah, the seating, whatever. At the end of the game, he switched. He switched on to Kawhi, and then he switched on to Paul George. And one of the things I think our kids struggle with is awareness of the shot clock. And tremendous clip at the end of the game. When he switched on to Paul George and drove him back towards half court, he glanced down the other end at, at the game clock. So he knew once mm. he glanced at the clock that Paul George is not doing anything else but pulling up at some point soon because Paul George knows the clock and now LeBron knows the clock. LeBron knows that going to the basket is out of the question. So he can get a better contest on the shot, which he did. He got an incredible contest because he glanced at the clock. And that's something like, I throw that clip in and and just say, you know, LeBron's awareness is because LeBron's awareness and IQ and is way more impressive to me than his physical ability and his to play basketball. He's just an incredible mind for the game of basketball, incredible feel for the game. So we'll use examples like that all the time because it's easier for guys to understand and just saying like, hey, look at this guy from Northern Iowa, like. You know, he did the same thing LeBron did. It's kind of like, okay, like, who's this guy from Northern Iowa? But no, with no disrespect to Northern Iowa, but, like, you they know, got, the kids just kind of – <laughs> they have a lot of players. But they, um, kids just relate to the NBA more, and, you know, I I watch it as well. For sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a great point. I actually – I saw Donovan Mitchell do, like, almost the same exact thing. Or it may have been Murray, but it was opposite. They were on offense, and the ball was like – it was a loose ball. Got tipped uh, to the other side of half court. And on the way to get the ball, he peeked at the opposing shot clock. I was right. like, "Oh snap!" That was like some next level, some next level thinking right there. I, like I just I wouldn't have crossed my brain to to do such a thing. Um, is there any? Are there any players? This is more of just a, a personal uh, thing. I want to hear hear your take on. Are there any players maybe in this upcoming draft or college guys who you can speak? On? I don't know if there's any rules for that. Uh, but is there any players in the upcoming draft or young guys, maybe rookies in the league right now, who you like really vibe with their game and, and you think they got uh, the makings for some big things? Well, draft-wise, I really like LaMelo Ball for mm. a lot of reasons. Um, Me too. He has all the skill in the world. He's developing as a shooter. He's been a pro since he was like 16 years old. So he understands like what's going to happen off the court and all the distractions and things because that's a big adjustment. Um, he's six, six point guard with athleticism and he has lineage. His, his brother's in the NBA and his, his other brother was really good. So, um, you gotta love guys like that. And it, he's been through everything. He's been in the spotlight since he was 13, 14. So there's literally not much that is going to shake him on a day to day basis. I really like his game a lot. Uh, Cole Anthony, you know, kid from New York that, that went to North Carolina. He's somebody that where he goes is more is very mm. important than how high he goes. Not to the um, Knicks you're has, saying. Yeah. Uh, 
no comment. I, I wouldn't be surprised <laughs> if he goes to the Knicks now. I mean, I mean, I'd be hyped, but I would be excited because I've watched a lot of Cole Anthony and I've been around him a little bit. I don't want to make it sound like I'm around him a lot, but we have like um, his AU program and our AU program, the New York Jayhawks and his being a PSA Cardinals do a lot together. So he is just a kid that will be up 40 in the AU game with no coaches watching and will still be diving on the floor. Like he's just a kid who just wants to win. There's a lot of knocks on his game and how he plays and efficiency and all that. But I just think he's a kid that's built more for the NBA game than the college game with lack of space. And obviously his North Carolina team didn't do that great this year. It is what it is. He was hurt. He was hurt. Yeah. Different roster, but you know, I, I like his game and, you know, I don't really I honestly other guys I with so much going on, oh, I don't yeah. know who else is in who else is really in the draft. I know like Obi Toppin is really good. He's a New York guy. He oh, is he in, is he a New York guy? He is he's uh I believe I don't want to say where he's I from. I did not know that. I'm not sure. He is a New York guy though. Yeah. He I, used to play for the New York Jayhawks for a little bit. Oh really? I see I, you know what? I've been uh starting to put together my my personal like big board rankings, whatever, of the top guys, uh, to get ready for the pod and He's making a push for me to be like a top one, two guy on my list. I think like he, he's not oh like if you look at all the different lists, ESPN, Bleacher Bowl, all the different you know mock drafts and all that stuff. He can range, he can range down to like six or seven. But dude, his size and his attack mode mentality, he has way better touch than if you only watch his dunk package highlights. Like I don't know, I'm looking at him as a dude who, in a league dominated by wings can grow into a player that's not just good, but like a game changer. You know, if he could get his handle down a little better and, and get the ball moving a little better, like he has tools to be legit in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah. I think he, he has tools is a, is a, is a great word. He has a lot of tools um, being used more as a four and five in college. Um, I think it's going to be quite a transition to become a three, but it depends where you go. You know, situation. Uh, Pascal Siakam was a four-man back-to-the-basket guy in college, and, you know, he's a certified wing now. Um, all-star. <laughs> so, so yeah, all-star, yeah. So, um, I think a lot of those things, if you watch Kawhi Leonard play in college, um, you know, development is just a huge, a huge part of it and where you go and what their vision is for you. So, I do think he could be very good. Um, I personally wouldn't put him in one or two. I think he's – Top, you know, five to ten range, in mm. my opinion. Um, but I think he's going to be an incredible player, and he's another guy that I don't think he, you could just plug him in. He's got to go to a spot where uh, can help him grow and and be able to do things um, that fit his game and be able to build on those things. I mean, the great example, you know, so many Knicks fans or so many people who love to make fun of the Knicks will joke that they passed on Donovan Mitchell. Now, I would argue that there was four other teams after the Knicks that passed on Donovan Mitchell before he went. And then I could also argue that he wasn't a number one scorer in college. He wasn't the number one scorer on a team. I mean, I don't know about high school and whatnot, but uh, until he got to the NBA and Utah is a situation that encouraged him to shoot, encouraged him to play, make to keep playing hard and play defense the way he can. Like what I've been actually thinking is really fascinating is how, you know, Jeremy Grant or now Gary Harris is guarding Mitchell on one end but Mitchell's guarding Jamal Murray on the other end. Is he, he take he, Mitchell's no joke, but mm-hmm. people get on the Knicks for, for passing on him. It's like, all right, well you have to think about what was 
what happening in Louisville, what was being said about this uh, draft beforehand. And, and granted, it's a miss. The, the Knicks missed an opportunity, but uh, so did other teams. And you also can't confidently say that we'd be looking at the same Donovan Mitchell if he was in, uh, let's be real, dysfunctional franchise of the Knicks rather than a incredibly stable, pretty talented, great coached organization of the Utah Jazz. So I, I like that. Yeah, and Quinn Snyder is one of the best coaches in the NBA, in my opinion. So, and then uh, it's timing. It's timing. It's he went to a team that was not horrible. He didn't have to like carry them. You know, he played with Gordon Hayward for a year, and you know, you have Rudy Gobert and you have uh, Engels, and yeah. you have all these guys that are are, are veterans enable him to just grow into his role seamlessly. It's kind of like Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook. Kevin Durant played for the Supersonics and was allowed to, you know, fail as a superstar. They plugged him in and he had to play like a superstar every night. Carmelo Anthony on Denver, Peyton Manning on the Colts, all right? Mm. He has the the record for the most interceptions as a rookie. And because he was going to be, he had to learn. And everybody doesn't have the time and the patience depending on the market. And he wouldn't be the same player. I'm not saying he wouldn't be good but he wouldn't be the Donovan, Donovan Mitchell as we know it. So um, hindsight is twenty twenty as far as he had this ability to do that. But who's to say Kevin Knox doesn't have the same ability and he's just not getting the opportunity. Funny you bring him up. I just got a uh, comment on Instagram today. Um, whatever thing I had about the Knicks, somebody wrote back to me and they were like, remember when I said they should have taken MPJ over Kevin Knox? I'm like, yes, I do actually remember that. And, you know, I didn't disagree with the sentiment. And if it wasn't my team that I rooted for actively, I would have said the same thing. Like, ah, take the Nick, I uh, take M- MPJ way more upside, but you know, the risk of the the health stuff going on with MPJ is no joke and it still exists. And can the Knicks afford to take a guy like that? Whereas Knox hasn't had any health issues. He just hasn't been that good. And he still has the tools. Again, we talk about tools. So a very interesting thing there. And that's the number one thing about the draft, man. Players can work out in one spot and not another. And, and sometimes it takes, getting traded or getting, you know, not re-signed after your rookie contract for a player to get a little more serious, to work on certain parts of their game. There's a lot of different aspects. But, uh, you know, TJ, this has been incredible fun for me. I enjoyed this conversation thoroughly. We're not ju- quite done just yet. I have one more thing mm-hmm. for you. Um, mm-hmm. First, before I get to the the last thing, you coach uh, Shatino at CSI? I did not. I came in uh, you met right one after. One year after him? Okay. Mm-hmm. I was just curious. He's from my neighborhood. Uh, played hoops with him in like a little men's league and stuff. I was just curious because uh, we were talking about mid-range stuff before. I've seen him, you know, absolutely work the mid-range and get fouled and, you know, get his teammates wide open. Impressive stuff at CSI. So I was curious if you coached him or if you missed him or not, Puck. Yeah, I missed him, but he's one of the best two-point guards to play in uh, our program. And uh, in my opinion, him and a guy, John Cali, they're both really, really good. Dude, you, or, or I think you got to put yourself there. I mean, I didn't do this the entire pod. I don't know if you would be about it or not about it, but uh, you had some nice performances as a point guard for CSI. Uh, pretty famous uh, 40-point game, if I'm remembering correctly, in a tournament. Yeah, honestly, I mean, and, and uh, <laughs> I mean, it's just a, a, a big individual performance and a big moment, which is why it gets spoken about. And I'm just glad we won the game to get to the Sweet 16. That's the most important, but... I mean, you got guys like even the kid I coach now, Christian Taylor, is he's when his career is said and done, like he might be the best point guard to ever play in our program. Wow. And he's St. Albert's uh, kid, you said? He is. Originally, he ended up graduating from, well, not graduating, but 
he finished his career at St. Teresa's, mm. but he's an original St. Adalbert's kid, but we'll take he's it. just an incredible, incredible player. So, but yeah, Frankie, incredible all American has a bunch of assist records, broke a couple of my records, like incredible guy, man, just a huge supporter. Like I know if we have a game, uh, Frankie's going to be somewhere around like huge supporter of the program. Just like, you know, one of the, one of the best kids and players that ever come from our program. That's awesome. Uh, good to hear. And, you know, I'm hoping that whatever works out in whatever way, there's a way you guys can get some basketball in uh, this year or this season, whether it's fall, spring. I wish you all the best of luck. I know this is crazy, unprecedented times. I have uh, my girlfriend's little brother, a sophomore in college, and he was real down on himself. He can't go back to school in, in Jersey. And I'm like, dude, you know, be thankful for what you can. Like you had your freshman year. You met a lot of really great people already. You know, if this was one year, like if you're one year behind, you're missing freshman year. You got to just take all the positives. It sounds like you guys are doing that over there. Um, but the last thing I want to do, it's what we do on the end of every episode of Subway Sports Talk. I just go last words. It can be whatever you want. It can be a shout out to somebody or something or some obser- observation, uh, a point. It doesn't matter what it, what it could be. Uh, I'll ramble for a second to give you a second. I'm putting you on the spot now. But last words, TJ Tibbs, what do you have to say to the Subway Sports Talk listeners? One, I'll just appreciate the platform. Um, you alluded to something before, like, you know, that a lot of people don't listen, but people listen. And when we speak and people listen, if you have an opportunity to reach one person, that's a lot. Um, we're kind of caught up in today's world with numbers and statistics, whether it be sports or whether it be social media. Um, the people who get the most retweets, uh, on Twitter or people with all the followers. Um, they're not smarter than you. They didn't say anything better than you. Um, for one reason or another, they just have more followers. We just think that what they say is just more golden. It's kind of just how they're trying to wire our minds. And we live in a great time with everything going on. Um, we live in a great time to be able to reach somebody in so many different ways. And I think it's our responsibility to use our platform, um, how, whatever our platform is. Um, I have multiple platforms. You have multiple platforms. But we all have a platform to use uh, to pass on positivity and to also represent our families and our friends in the best way possible. Uh, it's, it's extremely humbling to be in a position where you can open your mouth and you know, somebody's going to listen on a daily basis. And it's a responsibility that I have to make sure that I'm constantly informed, um, that I'm true to myself, that I'm authentic. And that, like I said, I'm representing the people who are close to me in the best way possible. Um, we're losing a lot of empathy and care for other people. Um, it's always good to be selfish because you have to care about what's going on in front of you, but we're just becoming just disgustingly selfish people as a, as a whole. And all I try to do and encourage others to do is to, is to do their part. You, you find yourself complaining about something, uh, try to backtrack and see one, is that really that important for you to put all this negative energy, not only into the air, but to your life. Um, because there's a lot to easily be negative about. But can you flip it around and get more informed about what's going on and help somebody out? 
Um, you don't have to help somebody out financially or you don't have to help somebody out with your time, but you know, words matter to people. So, um, connections matter. My goal in life is to be the world's biggest extension cord and to give energy and to reach further than other people can reach and to connect as many people as I possibly can. Um, I'm not perfect. I'm far from perfect, but, and I hope everybody out there who's listening, I don't care if it's one person or 1 million people. Um, hopefully something that I said today, just opened up your mind. Um, not towards my views. I don't want you to agree with me. Um, unless that's what you want to do. Um, but don't be afraid to have dialogue with people. Um, don't be afraid to dive into topics. Also, obviously, don't be afraid to speak your mind, but understand the energy that you're putting out to the universe is very important and more than it's important for the rest of the universe. It's important for your everyday mental. And, you know, we're living in times right now with COVID and quarantines and things not being no indoor dining and all this stuff. And it's easy to get your mental jacked up. So you got to make sure you take care of your health physically, your, your mental health. And um, just live life the best way you could possibly can and uh, try to help one person a day somehow in some way. And shout out wise, definitely want to shout out my fiance, Christiana, because she's amazing. And that's all on the shout out tip. Yo, and uh, shout out to you guys. I, I know you told me before we started recording that you were supposed to have a special day this weekend, man. And that that's tough. Uh, but you're supposed to right have your wedding this week. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. But, you know. You know, COVID pushed it back, so we're supposed to get married Sunday, uh, September 6th. But we'll now be getting married March 7th, and we will still be having a tremendous time. So Yeah, man. Well, I hope you hold September 6th as, like, a special day in your guys' memory, too. And I hope you have a wonderful September 6th, as great as it could be. Uh, inspirational stuff from you, man. And, and you really hit it on the head with how I feel about this podcast. It's funny. I tell people how many people, how many people listen to this podcast and I get two different reactions. Some people may be like, oh, all right, like that's that's nice. That's nice. Like kind of downplaying it. And then some people are like, oh, dude, like that's really exciting. And both reactions are good to me because I understand there's so much room to grow and uh, for me to get better at doing this. But I am honored and so proud that X amount of people, every single time I put up an episode, will turn it on and listen to it. That like that means the world to me. Uh, so you hit the nail on the head. I, I, I'm loving what, what I'm hearing from you, and I appreciate it. Appreciate you coming on. TJ Tibbs, head coach of CSI Basketball, but much more than that, as you heard over the past hour or so, a great dude. And please uh, tell your father I said hello if you can for me. I, uh, I will do. haven't seen him in, in some time, but I hope he's well. hope your family's well. And uh, I hope you're, he remembers some of my game a little bit from back in the day. <laughs> I appreciate you. I'll definitely pass on the words. Yeah, man. All right, dude. Subway Sports Talk. Thank everybody for listening. Um, you know, subscribe, rate, review the whole nine. But hopefully you enjoyed this conversation and uh, enjoy your day.